Welcome to a special episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. In our bonus episodes, we like to give some airtime to stories and individuals that are doing something just that little bit special. Today's bonus features Christopher Moore, CEO of the awesome charity, The Clink. Coming up on today's show... Christopher attempts to take the title for the most random comment. I think in those days, you used to get the spoons back from the pig farmers when they brought the bins back. Phil sums up the industry in one magnificent sentence. In amongst the moments where you have to be serious, there's an awful lot of fun. And Christopher reveals a new sense of arrival innovation. Where there may or may not be drugs dogs, just checking that you haven't brought anything extra in to put with your meal. All that and so much more as Christopher talks us through his story and also the incredible work that Clink continue to do. Don't forget to give us a like and a share across your favourite social channels. Let's share these stories as far as we can. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming someone to the show who is currently at the helm of what I think is just an incredible enterprise. We had one of his previous graduates on the show in episode 42 in a story that really changed the game for me. It was really, really quite amazing. That was, of course, Muhammad Ali. Have a listen to that episode if you've not done so already. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome the CEO of the Clink charity, Christopher Moore. Good afternoon, Phil. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Excellent. Where in the world are you today? Uh, I'm uh, based in South London, in Cheam, and uh, in my office at home, where uh, I've been since the end of March. As most of us have, I think. Most certainly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, let's get cracking. Uh, take us, well, actually, just give us a, a quick summary, if you would, as to, to what it is that you, you do at the moment. We can talk about it in more depth later on. Sure. Well, I head up the Clink Charity. As you've mentioned, uh, we are a prisoner training charity. We're basically a catering college in prison where we take men and women in their last six to 18 months of their sentence, train them up to get their City and Guilds qualifications, and more importantly, support them into full-time employment upon release with the sole objective of reducing reoffending and we used to say helping a hospitality industry that's got a major skill shortage, but I'm sure this is just a temporary blip and we will be in that fortunate position again in the future. Yeah, I think, well, that's inevitable, isn't it? That, yeah, we, we find ourselves in a bit of a strange situation at the moment where, regrettably, there's there's a lot of redundancies around, but it will be just a matter of time, I think, before things return to some kind of economic normality and, and therefore buoyancy and growth and we'll we'll find ourselves in a situation where we're we're struggling for good people uh, across every section. So I, I think what you what you're doing has obviously multiple positive benefits. It seems very much so. Yes, and it's about taking people at a difficult time in their life, getting them to believe in themselves, reskilling them, and preparing them to go out and be a contribution to society rather than a drain. Yeah. Well, I, I referenced my chat with Mo at the beginning of, of our chat here. Uh, that that really was something that, that just completely blew me away, and and I think it highlighted to me the the how vital your work is. Very much so, and Mo is a shiny example of many of our graduates. Um, had a particularly tough time and wasn't in a particularly good place. Uh, when he came to the clink, as he so openly shared with you. But it's been an absolute delight to see him flourish over the past few years that we've got to know him. And he's now out working, well, until I think yesterday he was furloughed again, but he's very upbeat, very positive, and most certainly on the right track. And also wanting now to share his experiences, as he did so openly with you, to help yeah. other people going through the same challenges that he has. 
absolutely. Okay, so well, before all of this happened, you had a a, a bit of a career in hospitality. Uh, so, what if you could take us all the way back to the beginning? How did you you get into to hospitality in in the first place, and just walk us through from there? Well, it sort of evolved, really. I think I was very fortunate from a very early age, probably 10 or 11 years old, I wanted to be a chef. And I cooked at home a lot with my mother and uh, my grandmother and uh, really just sort of experimented and built up my confidence. And then at the age of 15, I uh, volunteered uh, and then was employed at a local old people's home around the corner from where I worked, just washing up at, at weekends and uh, being occasionally allowed to dabble with making the porridge and doing the toast and exciting tasks like that. And it wow. gave me a real sort of <laughs> flavour for uh, what's what's possible and uh, just being allowed to experiment and, and feed. Ironically, wind forward 40 years, uh, my mother is now resident in that same home uh, and uh, experiencing uh, some food as well. So it's gone sort of full circle round. So I was, I was busy uh, with that at weekends. And then uh, after um, I did my uh, O-levels, I then went to Southfields College in Leicester, a catering college, and did my city and guilds qualifications there. And whilst there, I was a, a banqueting waiter at the Centre Hotel in Leicester, which uh, had a very large conference and banqueting suite. And uh, it's the days of silver service. So we'd go down there in our, our black trousers and white shirt with a tablespoon of fork in your pocket because you could never find one when you were there. And yeah. uh, just got some really good experience and um, really enjoyed my time there. You're actually the second person I've had on the show who's uh, commented on a lack of spoons. Oh, always, always. And, and it just seems to be a problem in, in the industry. Yes, I think, I think in those days, you used to get the spoons back from the pig farmers when they brought the bins back, uh, <laughs> sell you back the cutlery that you dropped in it the previous week before. <laughs> Brilliant. Mm. So, um, yes, after that, when I finished college, I was very fortunate. I won a scholarship to go to New York to continue my training and I did the Holiday Inn uh, management training program out there and that was a great experience and gave me a real taste of well, virtually every department in the hotel from working on reception to housekeeping to maintenance in the bar the kitchen even did a stint at lifeguarding as well so that was really good uh, eye-opener as to um, all the various roles that were available within a hotel scenario. How old were you at this point? I was 19. And, okay so uh, a, a great flying the nest experience as well I suppose is the the work experience yes I mean first time I'd had a full-time paid job first time I'd ever lived away from home so um, it was quite a, an eye-opener the, the, the bad side of things was um, because the way the Americans write their dates by writing the month before the day um, the whilst the drinking age in those days was 19 and I went in July when my birthday is reading my date of birth back to front, it looks as if I wasn't going to be 19 until December. So <laughs> the first six months, I had a very dry stay uh, in New York State. It wasn't in, the, it wasn't in the city. It was in upstate New York, about 200 miles north of the city in the Adirondack Mountains in a place called Saratoga, which is famous for a, a thoroughbred horse racing town. So okay. uh, absolutely fascinating time and most certainly opened my eyes. And then when I came back from there, I came back to London and went back to the Centre Hotel in Leicester, where I'd um, been giving them tablespoons for the silver service over many years, and yeah. um, joined their management programme, and I was sent off to Amsterdam 
uh, to work in the Park Hotel. It was a comfort hotels in those days. And I was learning food and beverage control. And uh, again, just a great experience working in a different country uh, where they, they were very good at speaking English, but it wasn't obviously the, the first language. And whilst I was there, Labrook Hotels took over comfort. So um, at the end of my period in Amsterdam, I came back to London and they put me in a hotel uh, called the Charles Dickens Hotel in Lancaster Gate. I don't believe it's called that anymore, but it is still there as assistant restaurant manager. And again, just trying to learn all the various different roles in F&B. So I've done, done the chefing at college, done the administration in Amsterdam, and then was doing the front of house at the Charles Dickens Hotel. Yeah. And then uh, I moved to what used to be called the Westmoreland Hotel, opposite Law's Cricket Ground. Uh, it was then called the Regent's Park Hilton, and I think it's now called the Danube Hotel. And that was uh, a 400-bedroom hotel, and I was assistant, I was food and beverage controller there to, to start with. And again, it was probably the first hotel I'd worked in that had got multiple bars, restaurants, banqueting, and room service. So again, very good opportunity to learn all the admin uh, required. It was in the days of before too many computers, so it's clipboard and rubber for the stock taking. But, wow. uh, all good, uh, all good experience. I can only imagine. I, yes, and then we went front of house and became assistant food and beverage manager. It was a great hotel uh, opposite Lord's Cricket Ground. Uh, had contracts with the airlines, so we'd get uh, cabin crew bust in and out. And if there was a flight cancelled at Heathrow and we thought we were going to go home at six o'clock and 400 people turned up, uh, you weren't going home. You just did it again uh, yeah. and uh, raided the freezers. So uh, really good hands-on experience sadly it was in the time of uh, ira troubles so quite often when you're a duty manager you'd be woken up in the middle of the night and asked to make a decision whether you wanted to evacuate the hotel or not my goodness uh, at the age of 22 yeah that's uh, a lot of responsibility for anyone yes it was um i need to say i always did evacuate um yeah it, uh, things probably that you don't experience today it was most certainly uh, different times and again even the airline crews were brought in and out uh, with police escorts because a, pre a few years earlier there'd been an awful uh, assassination of an airline crew uh, coming into a, a London hotel so interesting wow. times uh, learned a lot did a lot and, and certainly again doing the duty management to see the wider runnings of the hotel was a very good experience. That's not something either that when you're uh, you're sitting at college or, or whatever that that you would ever anticipate is is part of the the job description uh, as well. Not Nobody sure. ever teaches you how to evacuate a hotel when you're no. when you're sitting in a classroom. Most certainly not. No, and uh, very very strange times. Uh, and obviously, as as we're in now, we're all learning new skills. It was probably a bit like that then yeah. as well. And then from there, I went back to the Charles Dickens Hotel. Uh, they were turning that into a brand that no longer exists called Hilton National. Uh, where they were upgrading the hotel, and I went back as F&B manager there to just raise the standards and uh, do a, a restaurant refurbishment. And that was the end of my sort of beginning of my early hotel career. And from there, I joined Harrods. There's a number of reasons I, I joined. One was uh, it was a very exciting opportunity, but also I just got married, and uh, my wife was working for hotels as well. And obviously, both working shifts, um, you don't normally see each other that often. So yeah. um, I thought I'll go and work in retail. And in, again, in those days, it was very reasonable hours, in as much that you'd close on Wednesday afternoons, Saturday afternoons, and it didn't open on Sundays with no evenings. And how different retail is today. Goodness, yeah. 
So I went there as senior restaurant manager of the Georgian restaurant, which is actually the longest restaurant in Europe. And it was five years after Mohammed Al-Fayed had taken over the store and it had 12 restaurants. And we went through several years of uh, refurbishing uh, and opening new restaurants and different concepts. And I was there for eight years working as part of that team and uh, had various roles. After running the Georgian restaurant, I went on to set up a new division called the Events, Sales and Promotions, which was to use Harrods really as a backdrop for many different things from film premieres to product launches. And also we did event catering as well. And for eight years, we uh, catered for the Royal Windsor Horse Show uh, out in the grounds of Windsor. Uh, with lots of competitors. So great experience there and met lots of uh, different people. That strikes me as as being a kind of one of these situations whereby somebody's said at some point, you know, we never do any uh, like movie premieres or anything like that. And somebody then says, well, why is that? And nobody can give you a real answer. So you think, well, why don't we do it? Exactly. And I think also there is only one Harrods and it is in Knightsbridge. So it was an ideal place. So, for example, we did the film premiere for Hawk, uh, for Mission Impossible. So after a full day's trading, we'd clear out the entire restaurant. All the guests had come in at about midnight to about four in the morning. And then we'd quickly put the restaurant back as if nothing had happened and keep going and do the next day's trade. But um, great fun. Met many, many people there from... uh, different product launches, fashion shows, uh, royal and political visitors. Um, a great, great experience. And also being part of the team, we started with 12 restaurants. By the time I left, we had 21. Wow. And in those, that stage, we were building all the food hall eateries um, and uh, having to learn, for example, what sushi was and then go and build the sushi bar and uh, bring in all these new concepts from around the world that um, some of us weren't a bit familiar with before, but uh, we had to familiarize ourselves pretty quickly uh, in order to build those restaurants. Yeah, it shows you the the vision as well, I suppose, of um, to to take it, it, you know effectively a department store, for want of a better phrase, and turn it into to something that is just a you know everybody knows now it's 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 a culinary hub uh, as well as the the retail element. Yes, and uh, it was great to 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 uh, develop that and to build the eateries. And we actually, probably one of the fun, uh, most interesting projects I did, there was uh, an old fur storeroom in the basement of Harrods and had some very uh, famous furs that I probably couldn't mention, but have been used for um, investitures over the years. Yeah. And um, the we converted that into a, a huge production kitchen uh, which, which had three sections, had the hot kitchen, the, the uh, cold kitchen, and then a pastry kitchen. And uh, a huge project from writing to the owners of these furs to get them removed from uh, the, from Harrods and then converting a sub-basement uh, into a, a production kitchen was a great opportunity. But also it, it turned out um, huge quantities of food for the food halls and the restaurants, um, everything coming in fresh from the outside and prepared uh, and then sold through to a very high standard. Mm. So that was a, a great time there. Uh, I was there for eight years. And then an opportunity came up. I felt I'd got a lot of experience of running, uh, well, it was 21 restaurants uh, over five square miles on one site in Harrods, but I actually hadn't got any multi-site experience. It was very easy managing that if there was a problem, I'd just put my jacket on and run downstairs and clear a few tables or wash up or help out, whereas I felt I needed to have more sort of remote management skills. So I joined the Bentles Department Store Group, I was based in Kingston-upon-Thames, and they had 12 stores, mainly around uh, the southeast, and I went there as food and beverage controller, 
It had been the, the company had been going for over 130 years, and I think I was the fifth catering controller. Uh, so uh, it wow. was uh, really interesting times. And um, again, in those days, department store catering, generalizing here, but it was sort of a, a coffee filter, a donut, a sticky bun, and maybe uh, a, a melon boat with a bit of cling film and a glassy cherry on it. And it, it, it was normally. <laughs> stuck in the corner of the shop floor next to the toilets or the loading bay and it wasn't really seen as a footfall driver or anything attractive it was just we need to feed and water people as they go around the store yeah so we um had a bit of an uphill challenge there but obviously with my experiences of harrods we were saying well actually why don't you stick a branded restaurant right in the middle of the perfumery department and um on paper it doesn't work because obviously perfumery makes a huge margin whereas food and beverage doesn't make that that much and uh, they were quite hesitant but as soon as we uh, did it in one store the difference it made was phenomenal and um it just drew people into the store and then have a coffee then go and purchase or they may be doing a big family purchase like buying a three-piece suite or something but they go and have a meal to chew over that purchase and make that decision and it kept people in the store so uh, we genius it did that through the uh the bentles uh estate and then we started putting in some branded opportunities we put the uh, second ever sorry by this stage fennec had taken over uh Bentles, so it's called Fennec Department Stores, and the second ever Carluccio's restaurant went into the Bond Street uh, restaurant. We also put uh, the second ever Krispy Kreme Donuts uh, into Kingston, and I think we were one of the first ones to put in Cafe Nero as a concession. So not only our own brands, but we did have brought in concession high street brands, and again, it was like a magnet for the for the footfall uh, coming in, and most certainly made a big difference. And then catering all of a sudden can stand up against fashion and uh, perfumery with regards to profit margin yeah so uh yes that was a a good time and again just uh, fennec taking over bentles again just uh going through the estate refurbishing restaurants getting some brands procurement uh, and all that sort of thing uh, was certainly an exciting project for me uh, to get my teeth into Mm, no doubt bit of a, a halt and um, in 2009 I woke up with a few uh, pains in my chest couldn't work out what was going on having never had a day sick in my life and um, struggled to go to work for the next week but wasn't really doing too well at all and even one day came home for a rest and uh, next thing I knew I was in hospital and had a couple of weeks in there and they eventually discovered that I'd been born with a heart defect uh, with two left arteries so I had a heart bypass at the age of 45 um, due to being born with dodgy plumbing not uh, <laughs> blame me um, I, I didn't know that at all yes yeah, so um that, that i had six months uh off work recuperating and uh it makes you look at life in a different way and um i came out of that period of time thinking well i've, I've learned a lot at the beginning of my career and i've earned quite a bit in the middle it's now about giving back and i looked around for a charity uh, and then I found the clink through a friend of a friend who, whose friend had just invested some money into it and it had started six months earlier. The, uh, the company or the, the entity operating it had run out of money, sadly, and some trustees had come along and bailed it out and were getting it back on its feet. And um, the rest is history, really. I thought I was there for a year volunteering just to get them in a, a good position with firm foundations so that they could build on for the future. Ten years later, I'm still there. Um, so after about nine months, they said to me, can you stay? 
and uh, take up the role of, of chief executive, which I did. And we've had a very enjoyable 10 years reducing reoffending in an environment that most certainly is as far away as possible from any normal sort of hospitality of hotels or retail. Yeah, I, well, I, I think that I think I said at the beginning of the, the, this chat, the, the work seems incredibly vital in a, a number of different reasons. But in your role as CEO, what's what's your your actual day to day responsibility? This sounds like a job interview now. <laughs> well, um, had you had you asked me that in the old days, I, I, before pandemic, my role is very much to ensure that the uh, restaurant company is delivering on the core aims of the charity, which is to reduce reoffending and get men and women back on track into work, whether it be in hospitality or horticulture. And then I spent a lot of my time on the fundraising time, talking with the funders and also working very closely uh, with the prison service. We work in partnership with the prison service. And um, so that was what I did before. Over the last six months, I've done everything from collect the eggs from the chickens in the farm, uh, drive the delivery van, pick cabbages, do home visits, you name it, we're doing everything, uh, writing to funders, um, going to the bank and paying in checks and all, all things I've never done before. But um, it's been a refreshing time. But um, the, how the clink works is uh, we're a charity and uh, some very generous grant maintaining trusts and philanthropic individuals have donated money, which has enabled us to build restaurants. And we build fine dining restaurants in the heart of prisons. So we have our, our first restaurant was in Sutton, in Surrey, in Highdown Prison. We then have one in Cardiff one in Brixton and another one in Style, which is in Cheshire, quite near Manchester Airport. And effectively, they are fine dining restaurants in the heart of a prison. If you walked in there, it's got the leather upholstery furniture, uh, very nice decor uh, with art and poetry written by prisoners. Right. And uh, but, but to get there is a slightly different route. You will need to book in probably two weeks in advance, uh, we'll then want to know your name, date of birth, and uh, fill out a security questionnaire. And when you arrive with us, you uh, go through an effectively an airport-style security biometric system. You'll walk through the vehicle lock where there may or may not be drugs dogs, just checking that you haven't brought anything extra in to put with your meal. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> some uh, some herbs for the, uh, the, the, exactly. the finish. Yeah. Yeah. Seasoning, I think they call it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then... Um, you walk across a gated yard, bit of razor wire, and then through a couple of more gates and doors, and then you're in a restaurant, which could be absolutely anywhere. So a great experience. If you haven't tried it, you must do. And how the clink works is that we advertise in the prison to men and women who are in their last six to 18 months of their sentence. They must be able to read and write. They must have been able to finish all other restorative courses and ultimately safe to work with the public. And assuming they fit that criteria, the prisons say to us, you can interview them. And when we interview them, all we want to hear is that they're volunteering to be trained in hospitality or horticulture, and they'd like help and support into work upon release. And assuming they say that, we will take them on. And they work an eight-hour day training in an environment that doesn't look or feel like prison. All our staff have come from the hospitality industry and uh, have never worked in a prison before, but have been trained to do so. And they've also been trained to deliver the City and Guilds training. And they're not only gaining their NVQ qualifications, but they're also, I think, just as importantly, gaining their soft skills. So learning to work as part of a team, being confident, proud of what they do. And they 
just day-to-day life they sit around a table and eat together for their meal uh, before service normally if you were in prison you'd train for two hours in the morning go back to be locked up by yourself for two hours by yourself to eat your lunch and then come back for two more hours in the afternoon so a 20-hour working week with a 10-hour siesta um, isn't really preparing you for life on the outside that's a a very good point yeah But the other people we train, of course, is the public. Over around 100,000 people, members of the public, come to dine in the restaurants. And yes, it's a nice experience, and it's probably the only way a member of the public is going to see inside a prison. But actually, the majority of people come for not only a nice meal, but they recognise by coming to dine, they're giving a prisoner in training the opportunity to get the experience to gain their qualifications in order to turn their lives around. And that is really, really important. And our only gauge, really, on uh, how people uh, view that is TripAdvisor. And uh, every single one of our restaurants has been number one on TripAdvisor at some stage or another, including Brixton out of 22,000 restaurants. Now, this doesn't mean for one minute we're the best, but I think it's a really good barometer on how the public's perception of our scheme is. Yeah, do you know what? I think that public perception thing is massively important because I'm going to put my hand up here and, and wholeheartedly admit that uh, I, I didn't really know fully what you guys were all about. I also you know, possibly had these preconditioned ideas as to, to what bringing somebody into the workplace who's offended before might look like. And so actually you're educating people on the real world actually not uh, not something that you might have read somewhere very much so yes and i think that's the thing i i'd never been inside a prison until 11 years ago and as soon as i went in i realized actually the prison population is a cross section of society just like you or me and actually we could probably all be there uh, in one shape or another we've all done silly things on various uh, levels whether it's as simple as texting whilst driving or we've been to a party the night before and we get in the car early the next morning to go to work and there by the grace of god um yeah sinister's happened and we haven't been caught and and we can go about our lives freely but the working with the men and women in prison is an absolute delight a lot of them uh, have been told they're uh, no good. Uh, they may have been expelled from school, got in with a bad bunch, went down the wrong street. But as soon as you say to someone, well done, I'm proud of you, or congratulations, or that dish you've just prepared is amazing, or have you seen the customer comment book, what that lady's just written about the service you've given, they walk so tall. And their mm-hmm. identity, rather than being their past of their crime or their sentence, very quickly changes to their hope for the future. And it's great to just watch that moment when the light bulb goes on. That's absolutely incredible, actually. And and I suppose by the, the sounds of it, being where they are with you guys, the first time somebody says, well done, that might be the first time they've ever heard that. Very much so, very much so. And quite often when we're presenting the City and Guild certificates, um, the most most people in prison uh, that we train are probably under 30, but it may well be their first qualification ever. And they're saying, well, can you please post that to my mum? She'll be so proud of me. Or can can, can you send it to my dad? And it's really uh, great joy to see the, the difference that it's making in their lives. Yeah, I, that actually makes me feel warm and tingly just thinking about it. Mm. I'm happy to admit. Um, I suppose it doesn't stop there either, because right? that, that, one of the, the, the main things then is the, the support that they get when they, they do get out and you know, they're not left out on their own to just get on with it. 
Exactly. And that is exactly what is required. Um, there's lots of great things going on in the prison service run by themselves and like-minded charities. And there's also lots of great stuff going on outside. But we're one of the only agencies, organisations that works both sides of the wall. And that's absolutely key. So three months before release, our full-time support workers get to know the students, find out where they want to live or which area they're going to be released back to. Do they have a bank account? Do they have a CV? Have they got ID? And then on the day of release, we meet them at the gate and we take them to probation. We take them to their accommodation or we even find their accommodation. And then we'll introduce them to employers. We have over 280 employers who will all take Clint graduates subject to a satisfactory interview. And we're there for them 24-7. When you come out of prison, society tends to go against you. If you've got a criminal record, you might not be able to get a job that easily very difficult to open a bank account, impossible to get a mortgage, even your car insurance will be higher because you've got a criminal record. So by us coming alongside these men and women to help them reintegrate back into society makes a big difference. And reoffending, I mentioned at the beginning, sadly, there's 47% of people that leave prison reoffend in the first year. And if their sentences were less than 12 months, that goes to 63%. And reoffending costs £18.1 billion a year. My word. The whole programme with the Clink is about reducing reoffending. And we can reduce the chance of a Clink graduate reoffending by up to 65%. And that's primarily because we're an integrated programme, but also they get released into accommodation with a bed and a roof above their head and also employment as well. And that's what makes the difference. Yeah, I, that support function seems to me to be absolutely critical because you know that i think a lot of the times i actually spoke to more about this in our chat uh about about the fact that sometimes people make decisions because it's the easy thing to do and we all know that that you know day-to-day life is full of challenges if you've got nowhere to turn to then then of course the easiest thing to do is to to just turn to what you know it, it is and also the sad thing is that you can also be released from prison with no accommodation in the last six months during the pandemic we've had 40 of our graduates released from prison 13 of them had no accommodation so right. you leave prison on a friday afternoon with your 40 pound government release payment with nowhere to go and if it's a day like today uh, and it, it's a bit damp you might go and have a few pints at the pub and then you think well actually i've got no friends no family nowhere to live I might as well go back to prison. I've got my mates there. I've got a telly. I've got a bed, three meals a day. And all of a sudden, it sounds attractive. Yeah. Um, but by actually pr- welcoming them out of prison and being there for them and know that they can pick up the phone to our team any time of day or night and we'll be there is what makes the difference and keeps people back on track. Yeah, I, totally. You're, you're giving them simple things that we all take for granted. Very much so. Yes, yes. Yeah. Wow, I mean that's that's just it's just incredible. I I, I if you could see me, I'd be saluting you right now for the, for the work that you're doing. And I, you know, I'd refer back to Mo. He's my only real world experience of of what you're doing. I'm sure he won't be the last that I'll come across. But you know, he's to me is just a shining example of what's what's absolutely possible. But I suppose equally, there has to be a willingness from the individual as well. There does, and they have to, and they have to be in that position. Um, we can't force people to do it, and uh, of course, I say we can reduce the chances of people reoffending by sixty-five percent. But sadly, some do reoffend, and um, th- that's because they're not ready, um, or they've said they don't want our help upon release, or they may have decided actually 
um, if I have to be in prison every few years, but I can have an amazing illegal lifestyle the rest of the time, I'm prepared to do it. Um, But uh, we don't mind what they do when they leave prison, as long as it's legal. The majority do or have been into hospitality. But we've got many, many success stories of many different roles. I mean, uh, Mo's working for a high street restaurant chain now and doing very well. We have another uh, young man who left us five years ago, and he's now in the Royal Navy. He's actually uh, a Captain Stewart uh, and doing really, really well. and, and, And that life really suits him well. We have another young man uh, who's actually on stage uh, until last week, uh, the death of England at the National Theatre, Michael Balligan. He was placed with uh, Harbour and Jones, the uh, caterer at the RADA headquarters, about five or six years ago. And after about a year, he decided to uh, apply for the acting course, and he did that. And uh, he's now got an absolutely fantastic acting career. Wow. So we've got many, many success stories from around the country uh, but it's all about them. It, we're, 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 as a team, the clink is facilitating that opportunity for that individual to turn their lives around. And if you can point them in the right direction, they are absolutely fantastic. We have another young lady in uh, Liverpool called Libby. Uh, she's just been awarded with Merseyside Businesswoman of the Year. Her pub is currently number one on TripAdvisor. Cool. And amazing work, uh, having had a pretty rotten time going um been sent to prison and and uh, her, her life was in tatters she's picked herself up pulled herself together and she's now uh, just won another award for handing out around 2000 meals to key workers and homeless people in liverpool during the pandemic and actually giving back to society oh, that well, i mean that's just that's brilliant because that's that has come full circle then hasn't it really yes yes yeah it just shows you though as well you're you're facilitating people with the opportunity to go find their true purpose and that's really, really powerful. Yeah, and and, and they're very talented uh, men, men and women. And uh, if, if they uh, get the bit between the teeth, as I say, they're off. One one uh, thing they're very good at is pastry work. They're very good at following instructions and detail. And we've had uh, many success stories with pastry. And we actually have one young man called Kevin uh, who was on Bake Off the Professional a couple of years ago. He got through to the first round. Right. Uh, and uh, I think he's even writing his book now as well. But uh, he, they're doing very well. And uh, as I say, there's a lot of uh, enthusiasm. And we get them together every year normally. Uh, we'll maybe be doing it by Zoom this year. But get them together once a year and say, well done, congratulations. Uh, yep. You're all success stories. You're doing well. Uh, we employ uh, some Clink graduates in within the Clink, so they can tell uh, our students exactly how it is and what it's really like. So we've actually got, again, doing the full circle, we've got some ex-offenders, Clink graduates, as we like to call them, trained up to deliver training to our current cohort. Well, that in itself is powerful as well, isn't it? Because then that's relatable for the uh, for the people who find themselves in in the position wanting to move forward. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hasn't one of your chefs just what an award do i read that somewhere uh, yes uh, ellie sure our chef tra- well, our sous chef trainer in brixton has uh, done amazingly well and she's actually won the shane de rossiter's young chef of the year competition for the uk and uh, i think there was seven of them to start with and it came down to the final three and we were fortunate enough to go to a socially distance award ceremony at penny hill park last week where she was announced as the winner and uh, so she's going to have uh, some great opportunities. She's going to have a, a week at Mosman's on a stage and then go to a Michelin-style restaurant in Holland on a stage. And then she'll actually go to represent the UK 
at the World Championships, which are actually in Paris next year. So really thrilled and proud of what she's achieved. And also she's so are her students who she's training in Brixton Prison. Mm. What? Sure, she's there in very capable hands. Yes, no, she's done very, very well. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that that's great. And I um, I wish you well going forward. And actually, I suppose that's a, a, a fairly reasonable point beyond the the predicament that we find ourselves in at the moment what what's the uh, the future plans for the clink well we're having to innovate all the time and uh, ultimately we just want to keep training uh, men and women in order to change their lives so uh, training did stop for a few weeks with the pandemic but we launched uh, a new project called clink and collect uh, in brixton prison where very we were- good yeah. See what you did there. See what you did. <laughs> hours, hours, that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we preparing ready-made meals for prison staff to take home. So uh, during the height of the pandemic, they weren't needing to go to the supermarkets. They could work in the prison and have a, a lunch cooked by us, and then they could buy a ready-made meal at cost to take home and heat up. And due to the success of that, we launched Clink at Home, which is a delivery service. And uh, we, for the last, uh, since July, have been making uh, chilled meals ready for customers to reheat and delivering them to customers' homes within a five-mile radius. And due to the success of that, yesterday, we're now delivering to a 10-mile radius. But we've also put a community button on there. So there's the project called the Albrighton Project in East Dulwich, whereby customers can buy a two-course meal for £10 to donate to this project. So again, through our customers, We're uh, providing an opportunity for our prisoner students to train and get the experience they need, but also helping those in need within the local area as well. Yeah, well, I mean, that just shows you that that clearly you've got innovation within your organisation to to not just, I suppose you don't really have an option to sit around and wait for this to to pass over. You've got got to keep doing what you're doing. Yes, well, we, we ultimately want to keep training prisoners. So we wanted to look at as many different ways as we could. Our farms and gardens still kept operating. Uh, so we've got uh, we had two up to now. We've just actually finished building uh, last week uh, a new gardens up in Star Prison in Cheshire, where we've built four polytunnels and a 30-metre-long glasshouse. And that will be growing all the crops for the restaurant when we come back out of this current lockdown. So all the time we're looking for new opportunities to train more men and women to change their lives. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to come along when you, you guys reopen fully to the public. Uh, I think I nearly did. And for whatever reason, I couldn't make a lunch that was there. But like you were saying, actually, that would be my only experience of ever having been in a jail. And I think when you said it was in the heart of the prison i didn't realize you actually meant it's in the heart of the prison mm. yeah so in high down and brixton you actually it is in you have to go through all the security you're, you're in the middle of the prison through across a gated yard and lots of gated doors um our restaurants in cardiff and style whilst on the prison grounds are actually outside the wall but then that also is quite interesting because the prisoners come out of prison uh to work so in cardiff right. our prisoners uh come from another prison around 40 minutes drive away so we have two minibuses and they drive themselves down, come and train and work with us eight hours a day and they drive themselves back and check themselves back into prison at the end of the day. And these are men in Cardiff who are nearing the end of their sentence and again, slowly reintegrating back into society. Yeah. And then the other group of people we work with are the homeless and we're trying to prevent people from going to prison in the first place. And we had clink events set up uh, in London three years ago 
And uh, we're now one of the nominated caterers at the Guildhall, St Paul's Cathedral, Trinity House. And we can do cocktail parties up to 1,000, dinners up to 600. And all that food is made in Downview Prison in Sutton in our production kitchen. And then we take it up to town in child transport. And then we work with homeless kids from the Centrepoint charity and train them up to gain their uh, City and Guilds qualifications and get them work ready. So at the end of their course, we can place them into work and hopefully divert them from going down the wrong track, which could potentially lead uh, to a custodial sentence. Yeah. And I, I suppose, again, this comes back to the point of uh, somebody, for want of a better phrase, taking a chance on them and then believing in them that the, you know, this is an option for you and here's how we can help you do it. Yes, and it's a great experience for them as well. Whilst we cater in those venues, we haven't been picked because we're sort of a, a soft option or a charity or a cheap option. We're up against the other nominated caterers and all those well-known names that we, we all know. Yeah. And um, we're at probably a similar price, but all the proceeds from that event go back into the charity to change more lives. But these young people are getting experiences of uh, royal events, corporate events, high-profile situations and it's really really good experience for them to have that experience and also understand that they they can do things like this it is within their reach if they try hard and work hard they, they can keep going into uh, many different uh, exciting opportunities in the future mm. what well, shows you the, the standard that you you guys are achieving Yes, well, they work very hard, but also um, if they can go out with the correct skill levels and the qualifications and the experience, um, they most certainly can get a job. And as we all know, if you put your mind to it and work hard, uh, the sky's the limit with regards to our industry. And I think yeah. also we're a very forgiving industry. We're, we're more like a family because we work antisocial hours normally. The people we work with, we tend to socialise with as well. So a lot of offenders are in prison because of the family either the wrong family or no family so by working as a team in the hospitality industry i think it's a, a great uh, substitute and team effort really yeah well, that's the very nature of the word hospitality isn't it really yeah. um mm -hmm. great stuff okay well i mean you you've had a uh a hell of a career so far with a, a, your fingers in multiple pies over the course of time. Have you got any uh, shareable stories you could regale us? <laughs> um, I've got lots of stories. Um, again, a, a lot of them from my central London days, I probably I can't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre uh, situations with uh, walking into a room to serve people and you couldn't quite believe who you were serving, whether that be uh, royalty or presidents or uh, world, world leaders particularly. But there is that there's that moment, isn't there, when you, you come into a situation whereby you're not aware of who's going to be there and then you recognise the face instantly and you go, oh, Yes. It's kind of just that thing that you that you do. And then and then you remember who you are and what you're doing and why you're there and you just get on with it. Mm. Yes, never great, great experiences and uh, lots of experience from that, really. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever found yourself in, in situations where you're you're completely out of your depth? Oh, always on a daily basis. But I think that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's the fun part. That That's the learning. And uh, I think, again, 
um, it went into Harrods and you're you're doing all these different events you have to learn different things even down to addressing people if you're calling people for dinner I mean I think one of my learning curves really was discovering that uh, if Margaret Thatcher was in the room you had to refer to her as my lord because in those days she was she was a baroness and you make many scuffs and scrapes along the way but I think that's that's the, the joy of learning isn't it and just to push yourself and uh, certainly coming into a, a prison environment as well just learning all that environment and the protocol and what you can and can't do but I think that's the, the enjoyment of certainly many hospitality jobs is that it is general management uh, we are we've got quite a wide spectrum of areas that we look after that, that need a whole range of different gifts and talents yeah uh, exceptional problem solving skills on a, a daily basis and yeah. I think that the the, the I've I've had a fair few chats with lots of different types of people now, and and one of the overriding things for me, uh, which is a hope that a message that that gets out there is that it doesn't really matter how experienced you are, there are always new things that come up that none of us know how to to deal with, and and you know the situation that we're in today is a prime example of that. Nobody has the training manual for that, and. So it, it, I, I think what I wanted to do with this podcast was to try to demonstrate to anybody who's considering a, a career in this is that mistakes are inevitable and you'll continue to make mistakes even when you make make it to the, you know, the however, wherever the ceiling is in your career. Very much so. And I think also um, you can do what you want with it. If you want to travel the world and work for hotels or you want to work nowadays you can almost work nine to five Monday to Friday almost really or eight to four if you wanted to go into another part of catering so you, there's many many different roles out there that you can fit around and I think what's changing now and again for the better is is everyone is aware of that term work-life balance whereas perhaps when we were all training it was work 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 and then try and balance at the end of doing 100 <laughs> a week um uh, yeah right or wrong I enjoyed every minute of it but we worked our socks off and uh, certainly um, put the hard work in to get the rewards later on yeah yeah well I, I think that the balance thing is massively critical I, I always talk about the fact that I, I'm uh, of a, a, a similar ethos when it comes to to work it was always work 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 and then we'll we'll figure out how to play later yes, yes. and um, but you know I, I now look at myself and think well was I the stupid one for yeah. <laughs> for just accepting that? Mm. Um, but I, I think the thing is, is I was having a good time mm. whilst working. And, I, you know, a lot of the time, as you alluded to earlier, you know, you're working with people who feel like family. So, you know, in amongst the moments where you have to be serious, there's an awful lot of fun. Very much so. Very much so. Yes. And I think also it was expected of you as well. Um, it was a given. If you'd worked a 12-hour shift, then... Uh, someone had turned up for the next shift and they asked you to stay um, there's only one answer and that was yep. yes um, yep. whereas now I don't think we'd either dare to ask it or we'd have more resources uh, to, to, to solve the problem but no. so, no, good times don't regret it but certainly um, very different to I think somebody starting out their career today yeah well that, it sounds like you you're, you've got your work cut out where you are but it also sounds like you're you're doing something that's that's really very close to your heart it is the most rewarding job I've ever done. And as I've had a lot of many exciting experiences, meeting people, different events, 
been given the free hand to open and plan restaurants and concepts, but actually to see an individual come in broken, perhaps not look you in the eye, be a bit afraid of somebody wearing a suit because probably somebody arrested you wearing a suit or they sentenced you wearing a suit, to actually seeing somebody doing so well or eating in their restaurant or being served by them or watching them on stage. Uh, in January this year, we went, I went aboard uh, HMS Dragon down in Portsmouth uh, with a couple of uh, three of our ambassadors uh, it, to have dinner in the captain's uh, dining room and be served by one of our graduates. And it's just great to see somebody thriving in what they're doing, having had seen them wearing their prison uniform inside training. So, yeah. uh, no, most rewarding job I've ever done. You must feel like a proud father. I think I do, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's a team effort and uh, we couldn't do what we do without everybody in the team contributing whatever role they play within the clink and at whatever stage within the clink as well. So um, yeah. it's a very, very uh, rewarding job. And as I say, the, the best thing of all is actually seeing the men and women out after their sentence, having turned their lives around. Yeah. No, I, I can only imagine. Great stuff. Well, if uh, if people want to reach out to you to learn more about what you're doing or get involved or donate, what's the, the best way for them to do that? The best way is to visit our website, which is theclinkcharity.org. And normally, if, you're, if we're open, you can book there to come and dine with us. But over the next few weeks, if you're within 10 miles of Brixton Prison, please do consider ordering your Clink at Home meal. But we also have a retail site as well where we're selling cookbooks. We've just published our fifth cookbook, which is a 10-year celebration of recipes of our students and our ambassadors and also uh, Christmas cards. And that is currently our only source of income apart from very generous donations. So if you were led to do any one of those three, we'd be very grateful. Fantastic. Well, Christopher, thank you very much for, for sharing your story with, with us today and also to, to giving us a bit more insight into to the day-to-day -day work that, that you guys do over there. I, uh, I'm a massive fan and um, I will, uh, I'll definitely see you in, uh, in one of your outlets in the not-too-distant future, hopefully. Very kind of you. Thank you very much. You're very, very welcome. Take care. Thank you. Goodbye. Cheers now. Bye-bye. And there we have it. What a really interesting journey that Christopher has had, now coupled with an incredible body of work with The Clink. There's so many success stories coming out of what they do. Please get behind them in any way you can. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your networks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.